This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Five minutes past 12 o'clock. Welcome to it. This is the DL Link show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination here on 101.9 High FM. I'm Nikki Seberini and really delighted to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. Um, uh, we have really a fantastic show lined up for you today and I hope that you're going to be able to stay tuned for the entire out, um, hour. Of course, if you do miss the show or if they're part of the show that you miss, this show is podcast every week. You just need to go to the Chai FM website and you just need to click on the podcasts and then you just click on Life Links and all the shows are there. So um, please don't stress if you are having to switch off for just a short period of time. So let's take a look at what you can expect um, over the next hour. I have a warrior coming in and she's a warrior because, not because she herself has um, experienced in her own physical body cancer, but she experiences cancer every day with loved ones very close to her who are on their own journeys um, battling with cancer. Um, so Michelle Schwartz will be in the studio and sharing her story with us. We're going to be highlighting um, cancer of the reproductive organs, the female reproductive organs. Um, I'm going to have, and I'm really delighted to that we have Dr. Trudy Smith who will be joining us, who is a surgical gynecologist-oncologist at the Donald Gordon Hospital. So we're going to be looking at all areas of um, cancer within the female reproductive system. And so if there are any questions that you have, um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity once we have the doctor on the line for you to ask any questions. And then Linda Hreif, who herself is an ovarian cancer warrior and survivor, is uh, going to be on the show as well. And she's also an oncologist social worker and she says that besides the battle of the cancer it's how you go back to normal life thereafter and do you ever go back to normal life so we're going to be talking about that and then we're going to be looking at a day happening on the 3rd of June it's an international day and it's called National Cancer Survivors Day so that is what you have to look forward to um, here on 101.9 Chai FM so I'm going to start off by introducing Michelle to you. Um, It's so lovely to have her on the show and we're going to be talking about her amazing sister who actually I worked with many, many years ago. And so when I first walked into the office and I saw a blonde version of the lady that I used to work with, I realized immediately that this was Larissa's sister. Michelle, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Nikki. Lovely to have you on the show. So Michelle, as I said, you know, we, we have warriors who come onto the show and they share their stories. And while you're not the warrior because you don't have the cancer in your body, you indeed are a warrior because people very close and very dear um, are on their battle and are on their own journeys. Perhaps you just want to share part of your story with us. Tell us about your sister, Larice. Let's start off with Larice. Okay, so Nikki... Um the first thing I want to say is at least I, wake, I can wake up every morning and I say, thank goodness I am the, not the patient. And thank goodness I have the strength and the courage to help those around me that are battling the journey that they're on with their cancer. So this is what you say every morning when you wake up. Mm. And just sorry, I'm going to be interrupting you the whole way through, no Michelle. Problem. Before this, how did you used to wake up in the morning? I don't think you give it a second thought until you actually have it faced you know, you have it, uh, you're facing 
it every day in your life. Um, you know, you get on with life every day forgetting that there are people around you that have these very challenging journeys because everything in your life seems to be all okay. Mm. And then one day you get the news that um, something untoward is happening in your family and it just changes your whole perspective mm. and you start to see things very differently mm. and appreciate things very differently. Mm. Mm. We talk about that so much on the show and, uh, you know, the, the, it's the wake-up call and it's, you, you know, all of a sudden it gives you the insight to reframe. So maybe before you wake up and you go, oh, another day or, oh, my hip is sore, oh, whatever. And now you wake up every day with absolute gratitude and appreciation and and we keep saying this over and over again because this is how we should be living our lives, very mindfully, very consciously and with absolute gratitude. Absolutely. So thank you for that. Thank mm. you for sharing that part of, of that, Michelle. Tell us about Larice. Okay, so Larice um, turned 50, hadn't been feeling great for a couple of months, um, but generally it could be put. It was being put down to maybe flu, bronchitis, bronchitis. You know, something that we regard as really trivial yeah. everyday ailments. And we're busy, absolutely. So we move on very quickly, don't absolutely. We? And we, ha- you know, we, we push to. ourselves, right. and and sometimes we ignore the symptoms. In fact, because we think maybe we're just being like a hypochondriac. Mm. Anyway, she hadn't been feeling right, and for her fiftieth birthday, we were fortunate. Fortunate enough to meet up with her in America when she was on holiday, but again, still not feeling great. She came back, and after going to the doctors multiple times, she um, eventually was sent to a specialist, and she was presented with the very sad news that she had lung cancer. I just need to add that this is somebody who has never smoked a day yeah. in her life. Yeah. This is the person that doesn't drink. This is a person that generally leads a very healthy life. Mm-hmm. And so when we heard cancer, number one, we went into shock. But when you hear lung cancer, right. you always associate that with what doctors tell you. The lifestyle of smoking. Exactly. Or exactly, right. And, and she was not one of those people. Mm-hmm. And then you start asking the questions and you start trying to understand. And the simplest way that I usually describe it is that it's just a genetic wobbly that happens in your system. Nobody knows why. A person like Larice would get lung cancer. The doctors don't know what to put it down to, mm. but it happens. And now you've got to face the challenges that you presented with. Right, right. And and again, I, I'll always go back to asking warriors the question of how did you react? How did you feel um, when you were diagnosed with cancer? And, and they had so many different responses. And so often they say they have to remain strong for their loved ones. Like they have to project this and it, it maybe it is a facade or however they're feeling that, that everything will be okay. So now we're asking you, you are the sister. How do you feel as the sister? Because people talk about how hard it is as family members and as friends because you're not in it. You're not experiencing it and you have the sense of helplessness. Mm-hmm. What was the experience like for you? I think that's a very important point is that it's very hard to really understand exactly what the patient is going through mm-hmm. because you don't wake up every morning with the fears. Mm. with the aches and the pains, with the anxiety, because it's a lot of the unknown. It's a new journey into a whole new horizon. You wake up feeling almost helpless often Mm. because you want to take it all away. You want to take control of the situation. So in Larissa's situation, 
she's married to a very strong man who's always been Mr. Fix-It. I, as her sister, am also a relatively strong person and also think sometimes like I'm um, Miss Fix-It. Mm. Well, this is a situation that neither of us could Can't actually fix. fix. Mm. So I use his example. You know, you asked me mine, but I use his example. What did he do? He put himself on a, a program to lose not that many unwanted kilos because he wasn't that overweight. But I guess for me, his way of dealing with, with it was to take on a challenge and he went on to a very rigid banting program and he got himself into the most tip-top condition while Larice was struggling through this journey. But that was his way, I think, of controlling something mm. that he couldn't control. Mm. So he took control of something in his own life which gave him the strength and the courage to help and support her right. through what she was going through. For myself, the only thing you can do is just make different things a priority in your life. So therefore, a lot of things become completely insignificant and go onto the back burner and your focus becomes waking up in the morning and trying to be there to support the person that is going through this journey of cancer. Mm. And having your own life at the same time. Yeah. You know, are you married? Do you have children? Okay. You know, and there's that as well, I suppose. Um, I am in a situation where I have never been married, but I have always been in long-term relationships and I am in a long-term term relationship with somebody right now I don't have children and in some ways I guess that has made it easier for me to unselfishly give off my time because I have the time available one of my things that I'm thankful for when I wake up every morning saying to myself thank goodness I'm not the patient is the other thing that my circumstances with work are such that I can own my own time. So I do have responsibilities and work commitments, but they're done in the time, my own time. So that gives me the opportunity to be available. Yeah, that's amazing. And Nikki, you know, there are a lot sure. of people out there that don't have these opportunities. Absolutely. And there's gratitude as well, you know, within the situation where you have no control. Um, there's gratitude for, for what you do have in this situation. We're going to pause. We're going to have a break. Um, and then let's continue with Louisa's story, you know, what, what kind of treatment she went for. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Welcome back to the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Our warrior today is Michelle Schwartz, and it's a tongue twister, actually, Michelle Schwartz. <laughs> and <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> Rolls on the tongue. And uh, Michelle is talking about her sister, Larisse Milstein, who at the age of 15 was diagnosed with lung cancer. So we've, we've talked a bit about your position and how you were very fortunate to be in a position where you really could be the supportive sister. But what what kind of treatment did Louise have to go for? Okay, so um, immediately after she was diagnosed, um, she was told that she would need to have um, half of her lung removed sure. to get as much of the tumour out as they could. Okay. Uh, the unfortunate news when she had the lung, lung removed was that they did find it had spread into her lymph system. Mm-hmm. And that comes with, with its own other host of complications because that's when it starts potentially spreading. Um, Larise went on to what we initially thought would be a fabulous way of taking chemo, which was in the tablet form. And when we got the news that she would have post her surgery and post recovery, she would go on to a tablet medication of chemo treatment. 
We were overjoyed, thinking, wow, that can't be that bad, only to actually realize that that's actually anything but the truth. Mm -hmm. um, intravenous chemo, we believe, and I understand now, having my mother just having had my mother just come out of a course of that with her breast cancer. Um, intravenous, you have it one week, and then usually you have time to be off the chemo and recover. When you take a tablet, it's every single day you are feeding the treatment into sure. your system. Mm. And unfortunately for Larise, she was on um, a very advanced drug, but a drug that unfortunately had um, quite adverse side effects. And she unfortunately experienced all of them and more. Mm. So her first course of treatment was not a comfortable situation for anybody. How long was that? She was on for about, I think, three months from what I can recall before she actually went into remission. Right. However, the form of cancer that she has, she will have to be on treatment for the rest of her life, even if she goes into remission, because the treatment stops the mutation of the cancer cell. That is the type of cancer she has. And is it is it the same uh, tablet as she was taking during those three months, or is it a completely different form? She no, she has, after after the remission and having been on this this initial treatment, which gave her such terrible side effects, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the oncologist was fortunate enough to introduce her to another form of treatment which she's currently on. Yes. It's also a tablet form. It is what they call a fourth generation treatment. It also has side effects but nothing as severe as what she experienced initially. And the big concern for all of us was Larice was in and out of hospital on the treatment every seven to ten days because what would happen is she would get a fluid buildup in her lung area which literally um, she was drowning in her oh. own fluids oh. and the new treatment that she's on fortunately has stopped that. They say it's a miracle not many doctors have ever seen this actually happen to people that have a kind of condition and we just pray that this treatment stays available available to her um, and that the side effects remain controllable. Mm. She has side effects, but they are not like anything like the first like treatment. The first. Mm. And you as a sister, when she was going through those terrible, experiencing those terrible side effects, what could, I mean, what can you possibly do to ease her or to comfort her? During well, she would tell you that we should have done more of what we didn't do, which is massage her all day. Oh, really? <laughs> the one thing that gave her enormous comfort was to be able for somebody to massage her because it relaxed her, mm -hmm. took the anxiety away. Mm -hmm. What could we do? Um, you know, you can only foc try focus on the positive. Very, very hard because you're not the patient going through the fear and anxiety of what you're dealing with. You know, your life is in the hands of of something that you don't know what the future is going to hold. So positivity was the key for me when she'd have her down moments, when she'd really hit the lows of, I don't know if I can bear this anymore. It was just to try to get her to focus up focus on what she has got. Mm. And and that's hard when you are having to deal with your journey and mm. the challenges that these these patients do have to deal with. But to talk about the fortunate situation that her and her husband are in where they can seek the best help. They're in a position where they can get that. 
Uh, we have a cousin in America who happens to have researched the kind of cancer that she has for the last 20 years by sheer coincidence. So he shadowed the oncologist here in South Africa and giving an advice from afar and saying, if you can't get what you need in South Africa, I will fly you to America or the UK and I will get you what wow. you need. Wow. Um, the fact that they've got such an enormous network of incredibly sincere and strong friends. Today in the studio today, sitting behind me is my sister, but with the daughter of one of her very, very close friends from Australia that my sister grew up with. And Ruthie, um, Ruthie's mother flew out from Australia to be with Larice when Larice was having treatment. Mm. Sure. And, you know, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, of course, it's a you very know, emotional thing, Michelle. You, these are the kind of supports that um, you try to give to the patient to help them deal of with course. and cope with what they have. And the, and then, of course, the DL link. I mean, we, we, you know, there Larissa's face pops up all the time. When we had the, when we were celebrating the DL link's birthday, Larissa was in the studio singing and celebrating with us. And, um, you know, just this, as you, as you mm. say, this, this ongoing support. But of course, your story, I mean, this is just the beginning of your story is you being, the, the the warrior, the support of the warriors, because your mom was then diagnosed. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, Michelle, that's that is so hard. So she was diagnosed when last October. She was diagnosed in October. And just on the DL link, Nick, if you don't mind me just saying, DL link are not just the most amazing support for the patients and those warriors, but they offer support to. The caregivers, they offer support to the family. They offer support to the network around the patient. They are the most phenomenal organization. And I'm actually not sure what we would have done without a lot of their support really, initially Michelle. because it's unconditional, it's endless, and just knowing, and especially for the patient, being able to meet other people who are on the same journey mm -hmm. and share. Mm -hmm. yeah. Be a part of them. I mean, G Gabby's here, and he especially came in just to give you all moral support. And every now and then you see Gabby just standing up and waving and, and that. That's the DL link. That is the DL link. Let's talk about your mom. Okay, so in October last year, I actually got a call from Larice to say, where are you? I think you need to sit down. And she broke the news that my mom had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, her breast cancer, thank goodness, is treatable. But she was 80 years old. And for an 80-year-old person to get that kind of news is is really um, quite astounding. Sure. She, thank, good, thank goodness, has been incredibly strong um, through her journey. Um, she um, has had a um, three months of intravenous chemo treatment, which she was tolerating fantastically well in the beginning, but subsequently was finding it tough. So they then determined, let's see if they could do surgery, which they did about two weeks ago, where she had a single mastectomy followed by another procedure because it also got into she's her She's 80 lump. years old. Going she turned to 81 um, on the 27th of March. Wow. Happy birthday. That's Thank my you. anniversary. Oh, wow. Yes. What a coincidence. And your mom's birthday. Mm. And how is she now? She's, she's very weak and she's very tired, but she's very positive And she has been incredibly strong through what she has actually been through. Sure. And, and again, you being the support. Well, trying to be the support. So mm. um, I've tried to be there as much as I can for her. My dad, thankfully, is still around and he's completely devoted to her. So thank goodness 
Christmas, we've got him there. And um, I've got a brother in Cape Town who we asked if he would fly up to help as well. Um, because Larice at this point in time was just not able to um, really give much of herself. She's having to deal with her own challenges. So it really was left to myself, my dad and my brother. And thankfully, my mom's doing incredibly well. The good news is we found out last week she's completely cancer-free. Thank God. Yes, which is, God. which is a blessing. It's just now a bit of radiation treatment once she heals. And please, God, her journey Onwards will be one of absolutely. Please, mm. please, God. And then the story continues. Yes. I was in touch with Larice um, just a few weeks ago, and she shared with me that her husband had been diagnosed with a, a brain tumor, brain cancer. Yes. So about a month ago, five weeks ago, we get the most shocking news that now my sister, who's got lung cancer, her husband, who's been her pillar of support and strength over the last one and a half years, is diagnosed with a incurable, untreatable, malignant brain tumor of the brain. Oh, sorry, a tumor of the brain. Rushed into to hospital about a week after his diagnosis. Um, he's been recovering over the last few weeks and has just started his treatment of radiation and chemotherapy. And he had surgery. He's had surgery. He's had surgery now. And how is he? He has given everybody such strength. This this is a man who has achieved everything in his life he's ever wanted to. And the first time I saw him after his diagnosis, he sat around the table with my boyfriend and myself and Larissa and said, I've had a very privileged life. I've had everything in life I've ever wanted. And I will just take on whatever challenge comes my way now. And I'm ready. If my time is now, I'm ready because I want for nothing more in my life, which is the truth. Sure. Wow. And that strength has permeated through the way he's been dealing with his diagnosis, which is a very severe diagnosis. His is incurable and untreatable as opposed to Larissa and my mom's, which... You know, theirs is a life sentence, not a death sentence. His, unfortunately, is is the second. But he has been so strong and courageous, and his strength has passed on to me as a, as a caregiver as well as on to Larice, who mm. is, the you know, on her own journey. Mm. Um, so I can only say, thankfully, his, his mindset in dealing with what he's having to deal with has been an inspiration to anybody that is going through this kind of challenge. Wow. I mean, that you can use the words, that his mindset, an inspiration. I'm sure everybody who's listening right now, as am I, just completely overwhelmed by the amount of challenges that you have all faced. One, one wave after another, after another. And here you sit, Larice, looking beautiful and you Michelle and you know just uh, we don't know what goes on beneath the surface but just yeah just I'm definitely inspired but you wake up every day and you're grateful for what you have you you know you appreciate things in a very different light when you when you watch what other people go through and a key message I've always given to Larice throughout her life but more importantly, while she was really going through some of the real challenges of her side effects, is try focus on what you've got and look around you to people around you who also have their challenges. And sometimes you find people that have more challenges than you do. Mm. And I know, I, you know, I don't wish 
um, challenges that these people go through on anybody else. But what it do, what does give me a comfort is knowing as bad as mine is, somebody else there is going through something that is even more challenging. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they give me a little bit of strength because I see what they go through and I realize what I've got instead of focusing on what I'm not going to have. Right. You sure. know, if that makes sense. Sure, Michelle. And that's what this journey's given you. Mm-hmm. Michelle, thank you for, I know it's not easy, you know, to sit here and to talk about your sister and then to talk about your mother and then to talk about your brother-in-law. And we're talking about cancer and Wow, I think you're amazing and you're incredibly you. strong. And I thank you for inspiring all of our listeners. And Larice, who's sitting in the background, we just wish you, Larice, so much health, good health. And to your husband, and we wish you joy and peace of mind. And we hope that you'll visit us again. You can sit in the corner. You don't have to come on air. But we love you very much. And we just send you lots of healing light. And thanks for coming on to the show, Michelle, with Larice behind you. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's take a break. After the break, Dr. Trudy Smith is going to be joining us talking about cancers of the female reproductive systems. The lines are open. If you have any questions for the doctor on 0746. Five four seven three three five, or you can, uh, or you can SMS us on three four five one nine. We'll be right back. This is Life Links with a DL link. Welcome back to the DL Link Show. Before we cross over to Trudy, just very, very quickly, Michelle, you know, it is Pesach, and everyone is eating matzah, and it's just such a wonderful. It's not a poem, but it's it's a lovely well, it's a lovely analogy. Please read it. Okay, I feel like a matzah by Menachem Posner. Sometimes I feel like a matzah. No, I do not feel like eating a matzah. I mean, I feel like I am an actual matzah. Did you ever look at a matzah and feel bad for it? Take a look at the shelves of the bakery. There are breads chock full of seasonings made with the finest blends of flours. Puff to perfection. And then there is the traditional matzah, flat, plain, and bland. And then, just to add insult to injury, they poke holes all over the poor pancake to ensure that any remaining air escapes. (laughs) Poor old matzah. Even white sandwich bread, which is notoriously lacking in nutritional nutrition and taste of any sorts, has a shape. The matzah is in pretty sorry shape, huh? But matzah has something that all others do not. It has crunch. Matzah does not go down without a fight. That is right. Matzah is tough. And how did we get so tough? Because it was baked flat and full of holes. Sometimes those challenging moments when we feel we have all been, that we have, sorry, when we feel we have been flattened and held against the ropes are the moments that make us stronger, better, and crunchier. Come to think of it, what, that is what Passover is all about. We were in Egypt. Things were tough. They almost had us down. But then we came back stronger, tougher, and crunchier than ever. Oh, Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you for thank that. You. Thank you for coming onto the show. And okay. there, so, Nick, when you bite into your matzah, you'll think very differently about the matzah. Um, Dr. Trudy Smith is on the line. Um, Trudy Smith is a surgical gynecologist, oncologist at the Donald Gordon Hospital. We know that um, she is very, very busy. So we are so delighted that she's taken off um, some of her time to 
speak to us and share um, the um, oncology behind the female reproductive system because we're focusing on cancers of the female reproductive system. Trudy, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us and thanks for holding. We really do appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I think that matter um, <laughs> poem was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, just having Michelle in and talking about her sister and then talking about her mother and then talking about her her husband, you know, we sit here in gratitude for the lives that we have and we, you know, on this show we we deal with challenges all the time and you as a surgical gynecologist, oncologist, you too, Trudy, you deal with this all the time. How do you cope with it? I mean, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm very emotional right now. It's very, you know, patients don't think so, but it's very overwhelming for us. And in fact, we um, did a study very recently at the Donald Gordon on um, the effects of patients on us as physicians. And um, it was quite surprising. You know, we think we're a tough bunch, but we were quite surprised at how most of us actually need post-traumatic stress counseling. Really, Trudy? And do you you have that available to you? Um, We do, but unfortunately most of us don't make use of it um, more from a time constraint. But I must tell you, by the same breath, our patients all inspire us. Mm, mm. They totally inspire us. I mean, amazing, amazing, amazing people. I know. I mean, I, I walk... You know, every week when I walk away from, from doing the show, my heart is so often broken, but my heart is so often filled with such inspiration. You know, that's, Absolutely. that, that is always the, the shining light. So, so Trudy, let's just talk about gynecolo- gynecological oncology because we haven't focused on that, um, in this show. What, what actually is it? So a gynecological oncologist is a subspecialty. It's an extra speciality in cancers of the female reproductive tract. So things like ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, cervical cancer, vaginal cancer. And, and I mean, when I think of oncology, um, I think of chemotherapy, I think of uh, radiotherapy, but this is to do with um, um, surgical therapy. Am, am I right? Surgery. Yeah, so it's really, um, so we do the surgery and then patients are referred for chemotherapy and radiation should they need it. You know, some cancers are treated with radiation and chemo and not with surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, some require the combination of all three. And Trudy, if we're looking at ovarian, and I'm just looking at this, when you spoke about the reproductive tract, ovarian, endometrial, uterine, vaginal, cervical, and vulva cancers. I want to just look at um, the, the just for a moment, just to look at this vaccination that so many mothers are looking at for their daughters, and that's for the prevention of, um, am I correct, is it for the prevention of cervical cancer? So... You know, um, I always say that the cervix gets a bad rap because it's in the vagina, so nobody yeah. really wants to talk about anything that's in the vagina. <laughs> but cervical cancer, in fact, is the biggest killer of women. It is? Um, really? It is. 
So more women die of cervical cancer in this country than any other female reproductive, including breast cancer. Wow, I never knew that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So breast cancer is the commonest. Uh, cervical cancer is the next commonest cancer, but when you're talking about uh, cancer deaths, more women die of cervical cancer. Sure. So let's so let's look at the let's look at this vaccination because it is quite controversial, isn't it? Well, I think it's only controversial because it's to do with the cervix and the vagina. If there was a breast cancer vaccine, trust me, every single young lady would be getting it. You think that that's what it is because it's, it's I to do really think it's what it is because and let's just talk about it because this is something that has to be introduced or it has to be given before the school is sexually active. Well, not necessarily, but if you're looking at cost effectiveness and yeah. bang for your buck, that's mm-hmm. when you would vaccinate somebody. Is you know vaccines work better in juveniles than they do in old people. Okay, in overall. In general. Okay. So that's why, you know, children get vaccinated from early on. Okay. So you're saying, I mean, just based on the fact that you said that cervical cancer is the, is the biggest killer, you're saying that mothers should be looking at this, at this vaccination for their daughters. You know, to have an abnormal pap smear is a very stressful thing. Mm. To have an abnormal pap smear is a very, very stressful thing. You know, mm. it leads to so many, um, you, somebody's got to look at your cervix with a big microscope and then they take biopsies and then they remove um, areas of your cervix. It's very stressful. Mm. Yeah. You know, if we could even prevent having abnormal pap smears, it would be the best. Mm, okay, thanks. I think that's such an important discussion, um, Trudy, and especially because, as you said, is the, the the biggest killer. So let's talk about the female reproductive tract. How often should women be coming for checkups, um, and what 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 are warning signs? Um, and then they should book to basically um, a, a see a gynecologist if if certain things are happening. So the first thing I think is important is that um, ovarian cancer is, thank God, exceptionally rare. But it can be a hereditary cancer. Okay. So certainly patients or or young women or women with a a strong family history. Of ovarian cancer, Trudy? Um, so it's the, you know, Angelina Jolie. Yes, the, the BRCA. We talk about the BRCA. The BRCA gene. Right, right. And the BRCA gene, um, the commonest cancers in a BRCA gene carrier are breast cancers. Yes. And ovarian cancers. Okay. But breast, ovary, uterus, colon, and now possibly even pancreatic cancer can all be linked. Sure. So if you've got a strong family history, I think, of those cancers, you should certainly have a, a, a regular checkup. But the problem with ovarian cancer is that it, there is no good screening test. There's no test that we can say definitely you don't have or definitely you have. Ovarian cancer. It's unlike the pap smear. The really? pap smear or an HPV test, it depends. You know, we're moving more towards HPV testing now. It's got a, what we call a high sensitivity and specificity. So we know there's something wrong with the cervix. We need to deal with it. Whereas an ovarian cancer is incredibly difficult 
to detect. You can be fine one day and three months down the line not be fine okay. and have a stage 3 ovarian cancer. So the pap smear you're going for maybe once a year or the HPV testing and you're picking up irregularities within the cell. With with ovarian cancer, as you say, I mean, you could go for a you could go for a checkup, and um, you, and it would have to be an internal examination. Truly, so I mean, how, what, what would you do? Internal examination, and then usually we do a, a transvaginal or a vaginal scan mm-hmm. to look at the ovaries and the uterus. And what what would you say would be a warning sign? Would it be excessive bleeding? Would it be pain during intercourse? What 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 are warning signals for for women out there? So ovarian cancer usually affects women later on in life, mm-hmm. in, you know, over 50. Yeah. Uh, and then they will have vague symptoms, you know, uh, bloating, um, feeling of fullness, um, dyspepsia, just that sort of like almost more bowel things. Right. And then you go for your colonoscopy and your colonoscopy is normal. Mm. But they persist those symptoms. And then you must say, listen, I, I want somebody to check my ovaries, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So they're very vague symptoms. Really? And it's not bleeding. Whereas cervical cancer and uterine cancer, and uterine cancer is the second commonest cancer because it's often a lifestyle cancer. So if you are obese, overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, your risk of getting a uterine cancer is much higher. And that presents with bleeding, with okay. abnormal bleeding. Okay. Whereas ovarian cancer, you don't have bleeding problems. Hmm. So Trudy, so how often should people be going for for women? For, how often should they be going for a checkup? So if you, I think if you obviously if you have a strong family history, you should at least be going annually for your checkup. Okay. For sure. And, you know, the pap smear, if you've always had a normal pap smear or you've had two pap smears in a row that are normal and your partner hasn't changed and um, your lifestyle hasn't changed and you're not smoking, um, then you can probably go every two years. Okay. All right. But, but, I mean, there's nothing bad. I mean, a pap smear is, uh, uh, you know, it's not painful. A pap smear, it's not like going, there's no, um, radiation, fear of radiation, like for a mammogram. It's, it's something that's, it could happen in a few minutes time. And, and, uh, there, I, su- I suppose there's no reason for a woman to go, um, not to go and have a pap smear. Well, not to have a gynecological check. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just, you know what it's like. The first time you go, you're embarrassed, you're not sure. But after that, it really isn't too hectic. No, and especially when, when you go to someone like Dr. Trudy Smith. <laughs> I mean, I've been coming to you for years, Trudy, and I absolutely love you. Trudy, I thank you so much for your time. I think that really what is important, what we've highlighted today is, and I know that there is another discussion in itself is the vaccination, and I think that lots of moms are talking about it, but certainly talking about cervical cancer and how many women are contracting it and how many women are dying from it. I think it's something that mothers certainly need to consider. And then, of course, you know, for women who are putting off going and visiting their gynecologists, that they really shouldn't 
important that it should be something that should be in their diary once a year to go along and and to have a checkup. So thank you, Trudy. Thank you for your time and for your wonderful explanations. It, it is always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having me. And really, to all those cancer survivors, I salute you. You're amazing. Oh, thank you, Trudy. Thank you so much. Dr. Trudy Smith on 101.9 High FM, um, surgical gynecologist, oncologist for the Donald Gordon Hospital, and um, just doing amazing, amazing, amazing work. We are going to take a break, and then after that, I'm going to be chatting to Linda Grief, who is a warrior and a survivor, and she is an oncology social worker. Stay with us. This is Lifelinks with a DL link. 12 minutes to 1 o'clock. I love that Bennett's ad. I haven't had a nappy rash either. Um, this is the DL Link show where we connect you through insights and information and illumination. I'm so delighted to welcome Linda Khriev onto the show. She is an ovarian, ovarian cancer warrior and survivor and also an oncology social worker. Linda, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we've just been talking to Dr. Trudy Smith, and we were actually talking about the different kinds of um, cancers in the female reproductive tract. And she was saying that ovarian cancer is, is quite rare and it's quite difficult to pick up. You have had ovarian cancer. Tell us about your story and, and how it was diagnosed. Yeah, I was um, 30, 32 years old mm-hmm. when this happened, and I had uh, noticed that I was um so I felt quite bloated, and it was near the time of, of you know, actually having a gynae checkup. And I thought, well, perhaps I'm pregnant because I was really looking forward to having another baby. Yeah. And um, I'd also missed a period. So I thought, well, let me go to the gynae and just check it out. And, you know, but with very, I had no pain. I had no discomfort. I, oh, I had discomfort, but I had no other symptoms. So, so, no just, so just a bloated. So you just felt. Just a bloated. Yeah. So I felt pregnant, like yeah. I'd felt with my other two children. And okay. The, I just kind of, um, and I, yeah, I felt my breast was sore, and I thought, well, you know, these are signs of pregnancy. Right. In any case, I went to the gynae, and when I um, arrived, and went on my own because my husband was in Johannesburg, and I went, uh, when I arrived there, he said, well, he thinks he should do an ultrasound and just check what's going on, and obviously did some blood tests, but the blood tests would only be available later on. So mm-hmm. wh- while doing the the ultrasound, he, I could see something was worrying him and I could see his face was, uh, you know, he's frowning and kind of looking very intently. And, and then I saw this, this, um, you know, I thought it was a, a, a baby in my, in my uterus. Yeah. Um, and then, um, he put the uh, screen off and he said, get dressed and, um, we'll discuss it when you're in my, in my office. Oh. And when I arrived in the office, he told me that I had a tumor. And that it had to be removed. It was as big as an ostrich egg. Sure. Um, and, what a shock! Um, I needed to have the operation like ASAP. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I was working at the Cancer Association of South Africa as an, as an oncology social worker, so I knew that the chances were very good that it was a cancerous kind of tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't do a biopsy then. They said they would do the biopsy and and you know do a laparoscopy and then decide you know. Um, when they see, you want to see what, what, what they, what they find when they opened up. Right. And it was a terrible shock. The uncertainty of that time when I heard there was a tumor until a week later when I was operated was the worst time that I've ever experienced. It must, it must have been horrific because you went in thinking that you could be pregnant and you walked out realizing that you had a tumor. How, how, how horrific. And and that if, if they removed it, I would have to have a hysterectomy. 
and that all my hopes of having another baby was was, was shattered. Mm. And then also living with the uncertainty of what is this really about? You know, what is what is this going to? Am I going to have chemotherapy? Am I going to have uh, radiotherapy? You know, wh- will I die? Will I live? Mm. All those questions rushed through your mind, right. and nobody addressed those questions with me. Nobody talked to me about it. Um, and obviously, I had five or six more questions and anxiety because I knew so much about what was going on and what the possibilities were. So where so did you turn? A, what, what did you do? Well, I just, I just, my, I, I phoned my husband immediately. I told my mom, um, I, we got in touch with my, um, I actually decided to go to another uh, surgeon, not this guy that I'd seen. Uh, somebody that I trusted in Bloemfontein because I, I, we've just moved, we had just moved down to Cape Town at that stage. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a good relationship with the doctors that I was working with. Right. Um, so I made, the, uh, I made the decision to go up to Bloemfontein. I spoke with my guy there. I arranged the flight up and, you know, it was an, until, you know, and then after the operation, he, he immediately did pathology in the theater. They removed the whole tumor. Um, and he uh, and um, and he said to me, if, if it was indicated, you might have to do a hysterectomy. And when I when I woke up um, in the recovery room, he told me that it was a cancerous cancerous tumor, that it was very early stage, that it was well encapsulated, and that they could remove everything, and that he even did a wash of my whole abdomen, and then looked at um, analysis, pathology analysis of all, of that fluid as well. Wow. Which I think was like a double insurance policy that he took in case in case a, a, a cell got away. Gee, and I was very lucky that I didn't need any further chemotherapy or or radiation. You just had the you just had the operation. I just had the operation, and it's now thirty years later. She was Linda. I mean, that's an incredible, incredible story. We're talking about thirty yeah. years ago. He did this all um, in yeah. in surgery, and he could assist us that so, so quickly. Surgery still remains one of your best treatments for cancer. If it is, you have an early diagnosis. Mm. So my, my, my message to women out there that have, you know, symptoms of ble- uh, vaginal bleeding or discomfort in the abdomen or pain in the abdomen, to really go and see their gynae as soon as possible. Um, if they're losing weight and they, you know, uh, that is another symptom of ovarian cancer, to also go and, and check it out. And rather go earlier than later because ovarian cancer found later is a very scary illness to have. It's very aggressive, mm. um, and it is, you know, the treatment is quite harsh with chemotherapy and radiation, and um, and it is, you know, it is not that easily contained. So I've been extremely, extremely lucky. Sure. And, and just, do you remember how long your, I mean, you said it was time to go visit your gynecologist. Did you, were you pretty good going once a year? Had you yeah, been I to him before least, a year? I actually ago? went twice a year. Okay. I did a, 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 a um, um, pap smear at least once a year. And then I, I just went for another uh, a consult like once uh, another time in the second half of each year. And, and and I think I did that because I was a social worker working in oncology and I realized how important it is to, and then the, the doctor would do the breast, uh, breast examination and all of those. And I had a mammo, I also had mammograms, Gee. Um, you know, from a very early age. Yeah, so you were very um, disciplined so, with that. Uh, and I also had a family history of breast cancer in the family. So I was, I was really very, very, uh, uh, um, 
awareness orientated mm. and knowing also that early detection is the only way that you can save your life. Sure. Linda, as you said, I mean, yours has been an amazing story. We've got a few more minutes left and I want to talk about, you know, we, you've said like remission doesn't mean the end. Um, and we, we, what do you mean? Do you want to expand on that? Because well, the I end of the, cancer the is the beginning of a, of a whole new way of living. Am I right? Exactly. Your whole life changes when you have heard the words you have cancer because you live with uncertainty for the rest of your life. And it can, my cancer can come back any time. I don't know mm-hmm. whether it will come back or whether there was one cell that got away. And mm-hmm. so I go for regular checkups all the time. I was pushed at 32 into menopause pre, you know, so I've been in menopause since I was 32 and I'm now 63. Sure. So I've been living with hot flushes and low libido, um, all of those kind of symptoms for a long time. And when I, when I complained to the Guyanese about that, I didn't get much help or any support um, in terms of that because I couldn't take hormone replacement because of the ovarian tumor being uh, uh, hormone sensitive. Um, and they really had no empathy, really, for for the rest of the the, the the challenges that I was facing. They just thought, you know, be grateful for your life and get on with it. Sure. Um, and I went through severe depression also due to the hormone um, suppression, um, which I had to manage on my own. I went to see a, a, a you know a psychologist and also so uh, um, uh, had to be, had to be on antidepressants for some time. So it was it was even though my life was saved. The, the, I want to say the side effects of, of surgery were as hard as the other side effects that one has when you have chemotherapy and, and, and radiation. Mm. So it, it, and it emotionally had a huge impact on me. So, um, but it, on, a good, on the good side, it also helped me to live my life more fully. Mm. I changed my job. I got into a less stressful uh, work environment. I realized that I had to be very careful in terms of my emotions. I, I went for help in terms of that. I had two small children that I wanted to get bigger and I wanted to be sure that I'm around them. So I was very, very careful in terms of my, you know, my follow-up. Um, and now I'm lucky they're both married and I'm expecting my first grandchild oh, and I'm wonderful. really, really grateful for that. So wonderful there's story. a lot of good stuff, mm. but there is. You know, even though you just had surgery, there's still a lot of uh, 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 side effects that you manage. And I of often course. hear in my consulting room, patients will say, you know, I had breast cancer and they could get the tumor out. It was small enough. I don't have to have chemotherapy, uh, but I, are, I, I am on hormone suppressive tablets. And everybody thinks I must just be perfect and, you know, should be grateful that I didn't have chemotherapy and radiation. Don't be fooled by that because the impact of the cancer is as much part of that patient's reality as it is for those that have all three modalities of treatment. Linda, they thank you so much. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. No, no, but I good. thank you. I thank you for sharing your story. And I do just want to mention um, very quickly that there is the, on Sunday, the 3rd of June, celebrate um, the International um, Cancer Survivors Day. So thank you, Linda. Lovely having you on it's the show. Take pleasure. care. And thank you for your for your story. Thank you so much, Linda. Linda Kreef on 101.9 High FM. Does your newborn baby cry for hours on end? And is your newborn baby stomach swollen and hard? Does your newborn baby draw his or her knees to their chest and clench his or her fist? Your baby might be suffering from colic. Speak to your pharmacist about the Bennett solution to infant colic. For more information about colic and the symptoms, go to www.colic.co.za or email us at info at colic.co.za.
www.sbs.co.za. Time has come. It's time for me, Mickey Seberini, to bid you farewell. Until next week, take care. Goodbye.